I very, very seldom in 31 years of ministry uh, teach on prophecy. And there's a couple reasons, I think. is One is every time or most of the time when I hear about prophecy, it's about doom and gloom and suffering in the end times and everything. And to be honest with you, I don't believe that. I don't believe that we're, we're going out suffering. I believe we're going out with a shout. My Bible says, when you see these things begin to happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. The other thing is that is, now I know that you've never met anybody like this, but sometimes Christians can get a little nutty. Now, I know you've never met any of those, but I've been in the ministry a while. I've met people who think they're Ezekiel, and they think they're Daniel, and they think they're Michael the archangel, and I met Moses one time, which I was very blessed to be able to do that. And when you get into prophecy, all of a sudden, people get kind of weird, and next thing you know, people are meeting in a field somewhere with all their clothes off, and they're waiting for the Messiah. I, I saw that happen in Arizona. It was all over the news. And it's embarrassing to Christianity. Even saying that, the Bible says that no man can tell you the day or the hour. Nobody can. No prophet, no one. Everybody say no one. So if anybody comes and says, now you need to meet me in Colorado on on June 28th or something at 10 o'clock, no one knows. Jesus himself said, even I don't know, that's left up to the Father. Now, in saying that, we may not know the exact moment, but God does give us signs so that we're ready. The Bible refers to them many times as birth pangs. All the ladies know that when you go to a doctor and find out you're pregnant, the doctor says, well, your due date is uh, January 13th. Well, everybody knows that that's kind of an educated guess that it's going to be somewhere around January 13th, but no doctor can tell you it's going to be January 13th at 11 a.m. because nobody knows exactly how it's going to take place, how it's going to happen. But when you start getting close to that birth time, you get birth pangs or you get signs, and this is so that you make sure the car's full of gas, you know how to get to the hospital, okay? Your overnight bag is packed. It's signs to prepare you so that it doesn't catch you unaware. That worked for Tiz and I on our first baby. Anna was our first baby, and uh, Tiz had some birth signs, and we went to the hospital, and uh, in so many hours, Anna was born. Didn't work for Luke, not because God didn't give us the signs, we weren't paying attention. In reality, in a way I look at it, we got too busy to pay attention. Listen, when God's giving you signs, doesn't matter how busy you are, you got to pay attention. But this literally happened with us. You know, on our first one, we weren't full-time in the ministry. On the second one, we were in the full-time ministry. We're starting a church in Santa Fe. I actually just was over in Guam for a week, or Guam or the Philippines, preaching for a week or two, and came home, and Tiz says, you know what? I've been having labor pains. That's a sign. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It's going to happen. And I said, well, what do you think? She said, oh, they come and they go. It'll be all right. 
So I got home on a Saturday. She told me that Sunday. We went to church Sunday morning, went to church Sunday night. We came home, same time Sunday night. It began to happen again. I said, what do you think? She goes, oh, it'll go away. Well, it, it, it lasted a little longer, but it finally went away. So Monday morning, I said, what do you think? She says, well, I'm feeling something, but it'll go away. Well, I had a, a court appointment because a young man that off the gangs got saved, and I was going to go testify. They were, the courts were sentencing these kids to us and, and putting them in our boys' home. And so I said, well, if you're sure. She said, no, I'll be fine. So I went down to the church to to meet the assistant pastor and this young man to go to court. Well, we're standing outside the church building, and as we're standing there, up comes, running up the street, comes the assistant pastor's sister. He lived right down there, and she's going, Pastor, Pastor. And I said, what? She goes, Tiz just called. She's having a baby. I said, who's with her? She said, nobody. Well, we only had one car. So I ran into the church and, and called the house to make sure this was, you know, correct. And, and uh, Anna was about three and a half years old, and she was always told not to answer the phone uh, because we get phone calls from overseas and stuff. But uh, uh, the phone rang once or twice, and all of a sudden this little voice comes on, Hello? I said, Anna, where's your mom? Daddy, daddy, guess what? I said, what? She goes, mom is having a baby. I said, I know that, I know that. When? She goes, right now. So we jumped in the car, ran over stops, uh, through stoplights, over sidewalks. We were about 15 minutes, 20 minutes from the house. We lived in a little trailer. I run into the house, and, and, uh, and Anna is standing, laying forward on the couch, crying. Wasn't expecting to see what she saw. Amen. Wasn't... So me and the assistant pastor went running down the little hallway of the mobile home, and here comes Luke. Here he comes. Dogs are barking. Cats are jumping all over. Uh, the phone rings. And, and I go, hello. I mean, we're freaking. We're panicking. Luke's, Luke, is, Luke is coming. And, uh, and it's the doctor. And he said, because uh, I told the sister, call the, call the ambulance, call the police, call the doctor, call the FBI, call the CIA. So I pick up the phone. I said, hello. He goes, uh, this is Dr. So-and-so. He says, I hear you're having a baby. I said, yeah, what do I do? He goes, call me when it's over. <laughs> so we birth Luke. And, you know, while we're, do- while we're doing this, me and the assistant pastor, um, uh, the, all, you can hear all the sirens coming in and the police coming in and the ambulance coming in. And I know what the neighbors are thinking. I knew it. He killed her. And, you know, uh, I told the first service, I said, the, the, the highway patrol there, they're big guys in New Mexico, and they wear black and gray. And I can remember this time when, when Luke, we're, we're bringing Luke out, and, uh, and he, this cop, he's got leather and bullets and hats and badges. He comes walking around the car, and he goes, oh, my God, oh, my God. A lot of help the policeman did. So we birth we birth Luke and everything and and uh, uh, but when when Katie came, we were going to pay attention to the signs. Tiz said, "You know, I feel get in the car, get in the car." We went to the hospital ten, twelve, thirteen times. They see it's coming. We learned on Luke, and we made it on Katie. But the thing that, that I, when I was thinking about this, if we miss these signs, 
There is going to be a second chance seven years later. But trust me, you want to make it on the first sign. Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now let me stop right there and explain something here to you. If you've been to Israel or you've been to the Western Wall, there are stones in that wall that are so huge that to this day no one can even understand how they got them there. They weigh tons upon tons upon tons. No machines, no, nothing mechanical. And so as Jesus is standing there with his disciples, and he looks at this temple, and they look at the awe of how this thing was built, Jesus said something that I'm sure they thought, yeah, the Lord's exaggerating a little bit. He said, there'll come a time when not one of these stones will still be standing. One generation after the resurrection of Jesus, one generation, the Romans came in and destroyed all of the temple except the Western Wall. So what man couldn't figure out, God prophesied as a sign that when I say something, even though you can't understand it, when I say something, it will happen exactly the way I say it. Can I have an amen? Amen. So watch where he goes from here. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. Now look at these prophecies. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Now let me say two things before I get into the main part of this message. Is number one, here in this scripture, Jesus is actually including one event, or two events, not one. In this teaching, he goes from the rapture to the second coming, the second coming to the rapture. And we're gonna talk about this in this series, but I want you to understand, the rapture and the second coming are two different things. The rapture takes place That is not the Lord coming to us, but us going to the Lord. The second coming is the Lord coming to rule and reign on earth. And we'll get into that later. 
But the, the, the first thing I want you to look at is when we talk about prophecy, many people really emphasize this portion of Scripture. Wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes, storms. And they, 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 they talk about that as if that is the dominant sign that Jesus Christ is coming back. The problem with that is the world looks out there and they says, well, there's always been wars. There's always been pestilence. There's always been famine. There's always been earthquakes. Now, let me say this. Yes, that's absolutely true. And this is not what we're talking about. But let me tell you, never in the history of the world have we seen these things escalate the way they're escalating now. We've never had a Katrina before. We've never seen tsunamis hit, hit nations before like they're doing. We've never had people genocide murders like we have before. We've never seen hatred like we've had before. So even though these things have happened before, there is a multiplication There is an acceleration. There's an escalation that's taking place because the closer we get to the end, the more there is going to be those birth pangs closer and closer and stronger and stronger. These are signs that we are getting towards the end. Can I have an amen? Amen. Now, saying that, you'll always have those out there that say, eh, it's always been that way. And that's true. There's always been these signs. But there is one sign that has never happened before, and this is the sign that Jesus Christ is about to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. Read with me in the same chapter, in chapter 24, verse 32. Look at this. Now he goes on about all these prophecies, and then he goes on to say, now learn this parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very door. Assuredly, I say unto you, this generation, this generation that sees the fig tree begin to blossom again, This generation will by no means pass away till all things are fulfilled. He says, the heaven may pass away, the earth may pass away, but my word concerning this prophecy will in no means pass away. Now, a lot of people wonder, who is the fig tree? Well, it's very easy. In Hosea chapter 9, just one of them, and I'll read it to you. Hosea 9, 10 The word of God says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness, and I saw your fathers as the first ripe in the fig tree. The Bible says over and over again that Israel, the Jewish people, the children of God, the apple of God's eye, these are the fig tree. And hear this prophecy, yes, there's always been wars, and yes, there's always been pestilence, and yes, there's always been murder, and yes, there's always been earthquakes. And even though they're multiplying and multiplying and getting bigger and stronger all over the world, people can still deny it. But one thing they can't deny is the miracle in that after almost 3,000 years, When Israel had not been a nation without Gentiles ruling it, God said, I will make this fig tree bloom again. Now, if you understand Bible prophecy, 
he's talking about the harvest. He was saying that the harvest would be plentiful, the harvest would be blooming, then it would go dormant. But then the sign that the Messiah was coming again is the harvest would begin to blossom, the fig tree would begin to blossom again. When Israel was Israel, it blossomed. God gave them great victory. Then there came a time, 606 years before Christ, that it began to become dormant, and it has been dormant for almost 3,000 years until the month of May in 1948. Now think about this, 3,000 years, almost, Israel, the fig tree has lied dormant, and 60 years ago, almost to this day, it began to blossom again, and the prophecies began to take place. Now in Ezekiel 36, don't turn there, I'll just paraphrase it for you. God says, because the children of God has defiled the land that I gave them, God said, I will scatter them among the nations. Whenever you see the word nations, it means I will scatter them amongst the Gentiles. Now here's a prophecy that God said, I've given you a land. If you obey me, I'll bless you. But if you don't, I will scatter you amongst the nations. But then there comes a prophecy again that even though you're scattered around the world, on a given moment of time in history, I will bring you back from the nations of the world and I will give you your land again. Now watch this. In the year 605 or in the 606 before Christ, 605 years, 606 years before Christ, Israel went into Babylonian captivity. After Babylon, they went into Persian captivity. After Persia, then the Greeks. After Greeks, then the Romans. When the Romans were there in the year 70 AD, one generation after the birth of Christ, this is fulfillment of this prophecy where Jesus said, see these rocks? They're going to be pushed down. One generation after that, that temple was destroyed. And since then, Israel has never been a nation. In Jeremiah chapter 16, the prophet says these words. Therefore, or the Lord says to the prophet, Therefore, behold, the days will come, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now listen to this prophecy. No more will it be said of the Lord that he brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth that brought the children of Israel from the land of the north, Russia, and from all the lands wherein he has driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Now I want you to think about the scripture. God speaks to Jeremiah and he says, there'll come a time when Israel will no longer say, remember when God brought us out of Egypt. Because now God has brought us from north, the Russian, Russia, and around the world and brought us back to Israel. Remember in Passover when we do Seder? There's a common practice in Seder that has happened for thousands of years. Passover is remembering coming out of Egypt and out of Egypt into the promised land. And at the end of every Seder, they always say, next year in Jerusalem, next year in Jerusalem. 
They're remembering coming out of Egypt, and someday God will bring us back into Jerusalem. May next year we do Passover in Jerusalem. That was a prayer for thousands of years. Can you imagine having faith? Not faith for a week, not faith for a month, not faith for a year, but for thousands of years saying, God said, just like he brought us out of Egypt, the miracle of let my people go and releasing them and the miracle of coming into the promised land. Someday we won't talk about when God brought us out of Egypt. Someday we'll be talking about when God brought us out of the world and back to Jerusalem. That prophecy, even though it was 3,000 years old approximately, that prophecy, 3,000 years came to pass on May 14th 1948 the world said it's impossible the world said here's where your bible fails here's where your bible proves that it's not true that it's a fairy tale there's never been in the history of the world a nation after so many years that had no people had no government had no army had no weapons had no money had no constitution that after all these years god would somehow bring them all back and give them the land of their fathers but the prophet said here's where i will prove to the world that i am god you say it's impossible but i'm telling you there is a day that i will gather them out of russia and they're still coming today i will gather them out of the united states and out of africa and out of brazil and out of europe and i will bring them back you say it's impossible but just as i told you one day this temple will go down one day the people will return to israel and god said all that see it will know that i am a god of my word and i am god that happened on may 14 1948 the government may have said it's impossible the scholars may have said it's impossible the knowledgeable may have said it's impossible the rulers and kings of the world said it won't happen but when god says it's going to happen it will happen somebody shout amen they forgot see i believe that babylon forgot i believe persia forgot I believe Greece forgot. I believe Rome forgot. And God help us that America doesn't forget what God said in the beginning of this thing that will set us up for the end. In Genesis, God says, I give you this land concerning Israel. I give you this land to you and your children forever. That land belongs to Israel. There is no more Babylonian Empire. They forgot. There is no more Persian Empire. They forgot. There is no more Greek Empire or Roman Empire. They forgot. And the thing that's keeping us covered is we need to remember what God said in Genesis. Listen to me. This prophecy is absolutely a fact. 
God said in Genesis 12 concerning Israel, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. There is no more Persian Empire. There is no more Babylonian Empire. There is no more Roman Empire. There is no more Greek Empire. And may there always be an American Empire that remember that our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and our God is the God of fulfillment of prophecy. Can I have an amen? Now watch this. This is where it really gets exciting. This is where it really gets exciting. In Ezekiel chapter 37, let me read it to you in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. We ourselves have been cut off. Therefore prophesy And say to them, to the house of Israel, Thus said the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I, the Lord, have performed it, says the Lord. He's, look, he's speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, prophesy to my people. Don't give up hope. The devil has always tried to destroy the promises of God. And when they have been on the brink of extinction, remember with Purim, where Esther stands before the king. Every Jew is about to be annihilated. But God had prophesied when the period is over. The king had him doomed for death. Haman had him doomed for death. The gallows were built. But God said, when the period is over, I'll return you to your land. And God turned the story upside down. We look at the Holocaust. When the devil tried to wipe out every Jew on the face of the earth. He tried to wipe out the apple of God's eye. Six million Jews in a few years were put in a gas chamber. But what Satan meant for evil, God used it for good. Because when the Jewish brothers and sisters came out of the concentration camps, England didn't want them. America didn't want them. Canada didn't want them. Europe didn't want them. So they said, where will we put them? Well, let's go find a place that nobody wants. And they put them back in a desert place. But it may have been a desert place to man, but it is the city of David to God. It is the holy land to you and I. And what Satan tried to destroy, God flipped the story upside down. And God said, say to these people, Don't be discouraged. I will bring you back into your land. They were that close to being annihilated, that close to being stopped. But you got to understand, greater is he that's in us than any government, any army, any evil spirit, any demon, any Satan. If God says, I'm putting you back in the land, you better believe God's putting them back in the land. Somebody say amen. Concerning this prophecy of Israel, think about this. No government, no land, no military, wiped out, all their money stolen. Everything's gone. 
And God says, I'm going to put you back in your land and make you my people again. Isaiah, the prophet, talking about this in the Messianic, these are Messianic scriptures that happen in the time of the Messiah. Listen to what Isaiah says in verse chapter 66. Concerning Israel, once again becoming a nation. Listen to this. He says, who has heard of such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall a nation be born in one day? Now, I want you to realize, I want you to grab the magnitude of this prophecy. Since 606 before Christ, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greek, the Romans, since World War II, all of the world, everything trying to destroy them. But God says, I'll birth a nation Again, no money, no power, no clout, except one connection, and that is connection of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, who's heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such a thing? Can a nation be born in one day? And on May 14th, 1948, exactly according to God's promise, Israel became a nation once again. And God said, those who see that, there is one generation left before the coming of the Messiah. Can God really be giving us a countdown? Is God speaking in general terms, or is the birth pang to the point that we need to make sure the car is running, the gas tank is full, and the bag is packed? Well, watch this. I'm going to give these to you. You can take them home and study There's because it's too detailed to have you turn. In Leviticus chapter 25, God gives Israel the land. But he makes a condition on it, and he says, I will give you this land, and I want you to plant your seed in the land six years. But on the seventh year, the Sabbath year, I want you to leave this land unplanted. Then in Leviticus 26, he says, now if you do this, I'll bless you. Now now watch this. Plant the land. Here's the land I'm giving you. Plant that land six years in a row. And by the way, 1948, last month, was 60 years. And on the 60-year anniversary this year, in the year 08, in the year of new beginning, in the year of abundance, this year in Israel is a Sabbath year. Somebody ought to say amen. Now watch this. God said, here's your land, but I'm going to make a deal with you. Plant the land six years. On the seventh year, plant no seed. Leave it fertile. If you do this, I will bless you. But if you break that Sabbath year on the land, I will penalize you every year you break it. I will penalize you multiplied by seven. Israel didn't do it. They got the land. They planted. Come the Sabbath year, they broke it. When six more years, come the Sabbath year, they broke it. So God is bringing them judgment. And he speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. And he shows them exactly how many years of judgment is coming on Israel. He tells Ezekiel, lay on your right side for 390 days for the house of Israel. 
lay on your left side 40 days for the house of Judah. One day will be as a year. And so for all the Sabbaths they've broken, it comes out to 430 years of penalty. Now this began in the year 606. They broke the penalty. God speaks to Ezekiel. They'll be penalized 430 years. And on that day, on that year, Babylon's came, the Gentiles came and captured Israel and the penalty in 606 began. Now God had mercy on them and after 70 years, they were allowed to leave Babylon, only 4% left, just as the same amount in 1948 that returned to Israel when God gave them the land. And God said, now you go back and you keep the blessing. They went back. This is the year 536 BC, before Christ. They broke the curse again. Now, had they, had they kept it, the penalty was 430 years. That means that they would have returned to Jerusalem in the year 176 before Christ. But when they came out of Babylon, they broke it again. The curse was released. Only this time, God said, now that you broke it again, I'm going to multiply that curse, like I told you, by seven. So now they have 430 years that he showed Ezekiel that they would be without ruling Jerusalem. Minus the 70, God credited them for being in Babylon. That comes out to 360 years they would be away from Jerusalem. 360 years multiplied by seven because they disobeyed twice comes out to 2,520 years that they would not control Israel. Now, 2,520 years, we need to convert that from biblical years to, to our calendar years. In the Bible, the Bible goes by the moon. Our world goes by the sun. That's why this year we had, what what did we have this year? Leap year. Because in the Bible, the year is 360 days. On on our calendar, the year is 365.25 days. So that's why every, every four years we have to have a leap year so that our calendar will catch up with the Bible. So take 2,520 years that God has penalized them, that they would not control Israel, multiplied by the Bible calendar, 360 days, that comes out to 907,200 days they would not control Israel. Now, trust me, 907,200 days divided by our our calendar, 365 days, 0.2, comes out to 2,483.77 calendar years on our calendar. 2,483.77 calendar years means that they will not return to Israel until 1947.77. But they returned in 1948. You then have to realize that 1 A.D., and 1 B.C. are not two years, but one. So you add one year to 1947, and it comes out that Israel would become a nation again. For the first time in almost 3,000 years, can a nation become a nation in one day? And exactly according to the prophecy, 
on the month of May, somewhere in the middle of the month of May, 1948, God prophesied 3,000 years ago that that would become a nation in one day. Somebody ought to give God praise. So what does that mean to us? If God is this precise in saying to us, this is what's going to happen over a 3,000-year period, how precise is he to that generation that sees Israel becoming a nation? That generation will see the second coming of the Lord. People ask this, what's a generation? Well, some people say it's 40 years. Where that comes from is, is that Moses traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation was gone. But you got to realize is, is that when the 10 spies went to spy out the land, they weren't one day old. They were 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old. So take 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. They were leaders in the Jewish in the Jewish community, add 40 years to that, then that generation would have been 60 years old, 70 years, 80 years old, okay? In Psalms 90, the Bible says a generation is 70 to 80 years. But in Genesis, it says God's spirit will not deal with a man forever, for his years will be 120 years. So we've got a generation somewhere between 40 years and 120 years. When we see that fig tree begin to blossom again, but here's the thing you got to think about. The fig tree came into full blossom in 1948, exactly according to the numbers of Ezekiel and, and Hosea and Daniel. Exactly. But in 1901, the Jews began to filter back in. They began to come back in. they They were flourishing, they were dormant, and now they begin to flourish again. So when is the Lord coming? Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Israel became a nation in 1948, exactly to the date in which God prophesied almost 3,000 years ago. I believe that generation will see the coming of the Messiah. I was born in 1950. I believe that I will see the coming of Jesus Christ without a shadow of a doubt. I will not die. I will go out in the rapture. But the Bible says he'll come as a thief in the night. We've proven that if God says it, it's going to happen. If God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. The question is not, can Israel be born in one day? It already happened. The question is not, will the Messiah come again in that generation? We've seen God pinpoint it. And there is a question whether it should have been the 13th, the 14th, the 15th, because nobody can pinpoint exactly how long it took him to walk from Babylon to Jerusalem. But even if, we're, even if, even if the, the leaders had the idea on the 13th and signed the papers on the 14th, that's pretty close according to God's prophecy. The question is not, is Jesus coming in our age? He's coming. The real question is, if he came right now, would you be ready? When we missed 
the birthing on our second child, we were ready way ahead of time on the birthing of our third child. But folks, if you miss this one, it's going to be a long seven years. We're going to talk about the rapture in the next week or two. You believe in pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, mid-tribulation. When you see these things begin to happen, look up. He's given us the sign, but he's going to come when you think not. The devil gets together with all of his, his demons, and he said, you know, we got to do something. Too many people are getting saved. Too many people are receiving Jesus as their Savior. We've got to come up with a plan that will stop them from coming down and getting saved. So they're sitting around thinking, and all of a sudden one demon says, I've got master. I've got the perfect plan. He said, great, great. What is it? He said, let's tell them there's no hell. That's it. Let's just tell them there's no hell. It doesn't matter. You know, once you're dead, you're dead. It doesn't matter. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. And Satan says, no, no. He said, they know that. They, it's been put in them by God. They know there's a separation. We've got to come up with a better plan. So they're thinking, and then another demon says, Master, I've, I've, I've got it. So what is it? He said, let's tell them there's no heaven. There's no reward. They don't need to tithe. They don't need to pray. They don't need to witness. There's no heaven. There's no use in serving God. And they all got excited. Yeah, that's a great idea. And Satan goes, no, no, they, they know that. They know there's a better life to come. We got to come up with a better plan. So they're thinking and thinking and thinking. All of a sudden, Satan says, I've got it. He said, they won't believe that there's no hell. They won't believe that there's no heaven. But I've got the perfect plan, the perfect way to keep them from getting saved. What is it? Let's tell them they got plenty of time. The devil will tell you, let's just get through the summer. We want to go out and party this summer. Just go out and have a blast. Then we'll get saved. I want to get through college. I want to do that. Then I'll get saved. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know, when I was reading this and I'm looking at how close we are to the coming of Jesus, how close we are, the question is, if he came today, would you and your family be ready. I was thinking about Bartimaeus. He heard the news. He felt the rumblings. What is it? What's going on? It's that Jesus, he's coming by. We talked about this a lot lately. There's no way that he knew this would be the last time Jesus walked through the gates of Jericho. But he saw the opportunity And instead of waiting and saying, you know what, I'll do it some other day, he cried out and said, Jesus, Jesus. And the Bible says he would have passed them by. But because he cried out, Jesus, the Son of God, stopped and said, bring him to me. Compelling them to come in. Compelling them. That word compel means as if your life depends on it. Can I compel you to come to Jesus? I'm not asking if you believe that there's a Jesus. Almost everybody does. I'm asking you, have you received him as your Savior? And if you have, are you serving him? 
with all your heart. Why put it off? He's come to give us life, and that life more abundant. He can give us more joy than we can find in anything else. But why put it off? Because the Master is coming, and He wants to come for you. What a wonderful day that will be when we all see Jesus. But you know what? If you're not there with us, it won't quite be so wonderful. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? I want every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. When we look at all these things of Bible prophecy, folks, it's not doom and gloom. Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Your redemption is right at the door. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus, it's not a good thing. And the devil says, just tell them they've got plenty of time. The devil doesn't mind us meeting in a building. The devil doesn't mind us talking about the goodness of God. The devil doesn't mind us talking about prosperity. He doesn't mind if you feel the joy of the music. What he doesn't want you to do is give your life to Jesus Christ. But today, the devil loses. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, no one's looking around. We are so close in Jesus' own words it is at the door and you're here right now and you'd say pastor larry you know what i've never been born again or maybe you have been but you gotta be honest today you've grown lukewarm your oil's gone out i'm not asking to be religious i'm asking to give your life to jesus and he'll breathe upon it and give you life more abundant as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed We're playing that song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. You know what it is? It's the name that brings forgiveness. It's the name that brings joy. It's the name that brings healing. It's the name by no other name that a man can be saved.